All right. <clears throat> what do we got here? From Bloom, this is Scabs, and you're listening to Love Rice. It's a podcast about the nitty gritty of love and life and happiness. And in today's show, we're going to meet Paul Parkin. He's a teacher, a speaker, an empathy expert. And a little known fact about Paul is that at five years old, he was a human bicycle ramp. I was looking at a bug and he saw my back slanted. And he was behind me and he's like, hey, that looks like a bike jump. <laughs> Tells you a lot about my family right there. <laughs> is this an older brother? Yeah, older, of course. Uh, of course. <laughs> yeah, my older brother. Didn't quite work. His bike got caught in my shirt and he split my head open from the back to the front. So we should, probably should have got stitches, but my family was like, you know, rub some dirt on it, get back in the game. <laughs> I love it. What I really like about Paul is that so much of his personal story is about rubbing some dirt on it and getting back in the game again. Today, we're going to listen to a real human, authentic story about how Paul got interested in empathy. Uh, we're going to discover answers to questions like, are we born with empathy? How can we cultivate stronger empathy? And, and really, what squashes empathy? I think Paul will give us some tips for what we can do to bring empathy back into our relationships now. And we'll discuss the conflict of conflict for many of us who are facing trauma in our relationships. I mean, how can we safely give empathy in a relationship that's maybe unhealthy or maybe been damaged by betrayal. So let's get to it. So first thing I want to ask you is I, and just in learning who you were, I know that you went to um, grad school to study business and leadership, mm-hmm. but something drastically changed. Mm-hmm. So tell me about the moment and what changed for you. Um, it's, what, ah, that's a, that's a, you're starting off with a great question. <laughs> <laughs> you, you went right for it. I went here. right for it. Yeah, it's good. Now, for me, it was when my brother died. Because my dad, he had cancer and, and in, the handwriting was kind of on the wall. So I had a little bit more time to, in a sense, prepare, although I never really think I'd let it sink in. But with my brother's death, it was so unexpected. Um, and he was my closest friend. We were only separated by a year uh, growing up. We looked like twins. And, and so when he, uh, when he died and I realized that I had in some ways neglected that relationship. Um, and then, uh, at the same time when I, I, I was just going through a divorce and, and so those two things culminating kind of at the same time just really hit me and maybe we just reevaluate everything, reevaluate my priorities. Um, it was just the ultimate wake up call. And, uh, and as hard as it was, it was also the best thing for me because I, I put me on a path now where I feel like I'm doing something that matters uh, and that helps people and hopefully will help people avoid um, getting lost in the, and the things that don't really matter and focusing on those relationships that do. Wow. So when you said we're getting right into it, you really meant that. Yeah. Well, that question goes right there. I mean, I could speak into that for a long, long time, but that, I mean, that's where that question goes. So tell me when you say you felt like, um, what were the words that you use that you haven't, you didn't put in, you didn't, uh, the relationship hadn't, you hadn't nurtured the relationship as much as you'd wanted to. Tell me what that means. Um, 
I think that's maybe one of the reasons I was drawn to empathy because uh, when we have empathy and we're, and we're nurturing the relationships, we don't take the daily things for granted. We don't take, uh, we don't see, I guess it's, it's almost like we kind of, we can get to the point where we stop seeing people in our lives, even though we see them all the time, we really stop seeing them and appreciating them and what they do for us and how they make us feel and who they are to us and who we are to them. And, and it's so easy, especially in today's world where they're, we're just overrun with technology and everybody's trying to multitask and, and it's just so easy to lose sight of each other. And it's ironic that we have more ways now than ever before in history by far to communicate and to send messages to each other. But I, I think we've lost so much of connection with that um, where we really we're sending messages, but we're not really connecting in deeper ways. And I think I kind of got caught up in that fast paced world trying to make myself out to be something. And I had lost sight of those daily things where you just, you know, this, those checking in with each other and talking and, and talking about your problems and asking and, and going out and doing something and just, you know, being present with the other person and enjoying their presence in your life. And, and, uh, it's those little things that nurture the relationship, that nurture the friendship and being in tune with each other's needs. Um, yeah, those things I think are just, I think we have a, a civilization where people are starved for that. That's true. So and just in thinking about your brother, it sounds like you said you were really close. Describe what that would look like connecting with him on that, on the level you just described. Oh, like do you have any experiences? story yeah. to share about him um oh man i have a million Let's honor his memory yeah he he was just he he taught me the most important lessons in life of anybody he says he he was a uh, kind of a shy guy growing up but he was just always very in tune like he probably had more empathy than anybody I've ever met to other people's needs and so uh he would just notice things and i think that's a big part of empathy is you just notice you look you see you observe um, things that maybe other people would miss. And so there was, was constantly, we'd be walking home from junior high together and he would be like, I think if we go up this street, we can help, you know, Mrs. Smith pick up her apples or shovel her walk. Or if we go down this street, we can do this, you know, and he would kind of plan these routes so that we could help some of the older people in our community on the way home. And that's just, that's just how he was. And wow. he, that's just, he lived his life that way. Uh, his philosophy on life was, he says everybody is kind of born into the world that's like walking into a room through one door. And he says, like, for me, the best way to live your life is to help as many people as you can as you move through that room until you have to leave on the door on the other side. Mm -hmm. And that's just the kind mm -hmm. of person he was. And so uh, he's always inspired me. And I wish I would have embodied more of that while he was still here. I love that, though. I love that he is your teacher, your inspiration, your best friend. I mean, even now it sounds like. So wh oh, yeah. what's his name? His name is Emerson. Emerson. After Ralph Waldo. Oh, <laughs> I love it. Yeah. I love him already. Yeah. So in your research, um, let's let's kind of uh, move over to your research. And thank you so much for sharing that story. I know it's probably a little bit difficult to share. Um, but we we commonly think of empathy as standing in someone else's shoes, um, understanding, you know, a situation or life from someone else's perspective. So it seems though that in your research, you discovered something else. 
So describe the evolution to your current understanding of what empathy is. Yeah, well, it's been quite the journey. I think um, the, the bad thing about a TED Talk is that you only got 15 minutes. And I had three years of research to try and put into a 15-minute talk, which is impossible. And so I, I had to leave a lot, so much of it out. And although I did kind of speak into the journey, and what I realized is that uh, there are essentially three forms of empathy. There's the cognitive empathy, uh, kind of more perspective taking, which is what you're talking about, this standing in somebody else's shoes. And then there's the affective or the emotional empathy of trying to, um, it's usually more of a spontaneous connecting with their emotions. Uh, and then, and then there's relational empathy. And that's, and it's fascinating because for my research, I went and I had to do a ton of research on empathy. And I read through hundreds of definitions of empathy and I whittled, I had a list of about 75 different definitions of empathy from different places, different sources, different fields. Um, and I looked at these definitions and only seven of the definitions had relational or communicative components to their definition. For what empathy. Is, what does was, that mean? It means they were almost all focused on either the cognitive, the perspective taking side or the emotion side. But there was, there was almost nothing about empathy as a, act of communication or an act of connection or between two people. So, so in other words, it was linear. Yeah, it was lit. These are linear models, linear definitions, which is empathy is something that I send towards something or that I, I receive something that's sent towards me. So this is a very linear exchange where I think it's just amazing that we've missed the, the beauty of empathy, which is it's something that's, that's really created, co-created between people. It's not a towards, it's a, it's a manifestation that happens organically through communication between people. And so there was really only one definition that I found where there was just, they, they talked about empathy as something that was jointly created between like through a communication process. And so it made me realize that there is this huge hole here in, in the way we understand things about empathy. And, and that's kind of where I started to, as I collected the empathy journal and do my research, I started to realize, wow, like, there's just so much more to this than we even realize, which is relational. So that's really fascinating that our general knowledge of what we think empathy is, isn't what you discovered. Yeah. Yeah. And it's part of it. I mean, definitely perspective taking and identifying with other people's emotions um, is it's a huge part of it. And, and it's, this, and those are the kind of the, the foundational elements, but then we build on that through relationships. And so uh, empathy, I think that it's, its its most powerful form is when you and I are trying to understand each other's perspectives. It's mutual understanding. It's not linear. When we're both, um, I call it the righteous struggle to try to understand what somebody else, because we can never get there, but we can sure try. And the harder we try through this non-judgmental, validating, compassionate way, then the harder we try, then the, the better we are going to be able to find connection and understanding um, at such a meaningful level, at such a deep level that I just think so many people aren't accustomed to because they haven't had that experience. And once you've had it, then you're like, oh my gosh, like this is amazing. But it's just, it's my goal is to kind of help people see it so they can be like, oh, that's what it is. Then they can experience it. And then, then there's no looking back at that point. 
So I love what you just said. Your goal is to help people see it because you're right. I'm thinking in my mind right now, trying to think of an experience I've had of co-creating empathy. And so just for our audience, let's let's give a like an example. Like give me an example of what co-creating empathy would look like. Well, it's really four things. Like and this is something that I wanted to do in my TED talk, but I, I kind of chose to think globally. But if I if I was to give another TED talk, I would focus on just the co-created part and, and the four things. And really the first one is it, it's emotions. The second one is needs. The third one is communication, vulnerable communication. And then the fourth one is uh, reciprocation. And so those are kind of the, the four essential ingredients of co-created empathy um, because our emotions drive our needs. And if we listen to our emotions, they usually tell us what we need. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times we're used to numbing our emotions or kind of pushing those away. And so, um, and many of our needs are relational needs. They're mm-hmm. things that we can't meet ourselves. And so a lot of times we're trying to to fix ourselves or work on ourselves, like even with trauma victims, um, it's not it's not a solitary activity. Dealing with trauma, it should be relational. It should be there should be this community of empathy and healing involved in the process. And so we need to have these loving, empathic relationships that will help us meet these needs. Oh, you said so much there that I want to talk about, um, you know, about that part, because you're, you're right about the trauma piece. I think a lot of times when we're going through trauma or difficulty, we just curl inwards. Correct. And yeah. um, I don't have as much experience as you do. I have a little bit of experience just in these retreats, but seeing how how women change when they feel safe in a relationship is just stunning to watch. Yep. I, I want to go there uh, in a little bit, but I, I did want to ask you a question. Mm-hmm. So today I went into my son, my son is seven. I went into his uh, parent teacher conference with his teacher mm-hmm. and his teacher loves, you know, my son. And, and she, um, she told me a little story about him. She said, you know, he's a very sensitive kid. He came up to me the other day and said, hey, I noticed that so-and-so looks sad today. And, you know, my teacher says, or the teacher says, you know, you're right. He does, you know, and just kind of like validating him or talking to him about it. And it got me thinking, especially in preparing for today, I thought, is empathy something we're born with? Is it something that we can cultivate? And how, how do we do this? It's a great, it's a, and those are essential questions. And the cool answer is 99% of the time, yes. There are people that seem to be born without him. Those are the psychopaths of the world, people that that can do horrendous things and not feel anything. And even then, you can make the argument that maybe they were born with it and they just deadened it over time. Um, but mm. I, I believe that pretty much everybody is born with empathy. And it's just that we have different set points. And so in your son's example, I have a son who's the same way. Uh, and at parent-teacher conferences, I, like, I'll swap parent-teacher conference stories with you. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so, awesome. And so when we went to his parent-teacher conference. Is he seven? Uh, no, he wasn't seven. He was, in, I think, in the fourth grade. Oh. <laughs> um, and they said that he would play the first recess with all the other boys playing soccer. And then he would play the second recess with the the little boy in the school who is uh, has Asperger's, which now they just say is on the spectrum of autism. And because he could, that kid couldn't play soccer. Mm-hmm. And so he would set aside the first recess for that. And the second recess, he would just go and roll on the grass and play with the other kid. Um, wow. That's cool. Told him to. He just, 
I think some people like your son and my son, they have, they're born with a higher empathy set point. And mm-hmm. it just kind of is almost like a gift where they feel people. And, and the more I've done this research, I've seen this over and over. There's certain, there are certain people that just, they just seem to have a huge capacity for that. They just see people, they feel people, they notice things, and they really in tune how other people are feeling and what they're going through. Um, and then there's people that are just, they don't have such a, a set point that's just not that high. But the great thing is, is that you can, wherever you are, you can cultivate it to the point where uh, you can be very in tune to others. Mm. And, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, that just kind of leads me to the question. So let's say, you know, a child has a high set point, like you said, they're, they're empathetic. What squashes empathy? Yeah, that's, that's another really good question. It, it's, it's super sad. Uh, it's, and I think a lot of the audience listening to this will relate to that, um, mm-hmm. which is damaging your self-worth um, because anything that causes you to turn inward rather than outward um, to a large degree kills empathy. And particularly we're talking about relational empathy right now. Mm-hmm. But, and so you can have things that damage the self-worth and that can happen early in life. It can happen later in life. You could be, it's, I've met people who were born, they came from great families, had high empathy set points. You know, they, they were, had a lot of, I mean, a lot of, just they had good friends in their life. They had a good support system. And then they met one person. And that one person broke their trust, did enough damage on their self-worth that they turned inward and they just, and you can just shut down mm-hmm. and, and that can really deaden. It's not that you don't care anymore or that you can't see other people's perspectives. It's just, you're living in a fog. And in order to have true relational empathy, you've got to get that, clear that fog out a little bit to where you can start to see other people and be with other people. You know, I, I can totally relate to that. I, my own Mr. Scabs, he, um, Mr. Scabs. That's his name. Yeah, I like that. (laughs) He, um, he is an empathetic person, kind, but I think something happened that broke him a little bit. And so that he, what you said, living in a fog is exactly where he just can't see other people. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. interesting. But the good news, and it sounds like, and this is amazing, and I always think this is awesome about our lives as human beings, is we have the ability to change that. Oh, yeah. It's amazing how resilient humans are. And uh, you just see people that come from tremendous, uh, just horrendous things and and what they can do with that and how and how they they can bounce back and recover. And, and so often it's those people that they actually turn it into something where they're actually helping other people along the way. It's mm-hmm. not just like I'm fixing myself. No, it's I'm going to help other people fix themselves as well. And so this is kind of, to- I, I, we're losing like topic, but I want to go up here just for a second. So let's say um, someone's lost their empathy. You know, they, they notice this, they feel like they're not as empathetic as maybe they used to be. What can they do? Well, I think, <laughs> um, I, w- I would actually go back to if I was going to teach a skill that really is t- tailored towards inc- imp- like building your empathy, I would focus on listening. I think mm. um, listening is a lost art, and I think people are starved for good listeners in their life, like empathic listeners. And so if I was kind of build a scaffolding of how to help people, I mean, there's a million ways that I could say you could build empathy, but this is the one that I, this comes to mind as you're talking. And the one that I've been thinking a lot about lately is 
I've kind of got these four levels of empathic listening, which I think people can develop. And as they go, as they develop one, then they can move up to kind of to, to, to get closer to that empathic heart. And so the first one is we need to learn to listen, um, which again, is it's, it seems easier said than done. It's mm-hmm. how many people, they just, because we're, we're taught classes in reading, we're taught classes in writing. I mean, this is what we go to school for. And we spend almost 50% of our day, daily communication, not talking, not writing. It's, it's just listening. And so, so much a part of marriages and families is just mm. listening. But nobody teaches us. There's skills involved with listening. There's, there's ways to do it well. There's ways to do it poorly. There's barriers. Nobody teaches us these things. We just kind of have to figure it out. And, and a lot of us then, because of that, are just very poor listeners. And we just miss people. <laughs> And we miss things that we that we would pick on other pick up otherwise. So first, we just need to learn the skill uh, to listen. And then second, so once first is learn to listen. The second one is is we need to listen to learn. And that's where we start really investing in other people, where it's 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 listening and probing, where we're asking more questions and we're we're coming from a place of curiosity, a place of I want to understand you, I want to experience your world what you're feeling, like help me understand you. And, and so those are the two first levels that now get us really closer towards developing empathy. Um, and then once we get to that point, then we can start entering in the deep relational stuff. And the third one is, is we need to listen with love, which is that non-judgmental piece, which is, um, which I said in my TED talk, it's, it's changing the narratives that we tell ourselves about others and mm. allowing them to change those narratives as we listen to them. Mm. And just listening with compassion and with love and, and investing and caring. And then once we can get to that point, and then it's, uh, and then the highest level for me of developing empathic listening is, is uh, love as listening. So those four again are. Well, what does that mean? Love as listening. It means that it's, it's an expression of love, basically. It's like a love language. Uh, hmm. Think of it, think, I bet you can think of this. Think of a moment in your life where you were sitting with somebody and you felt them completely present with you and you felt them completely listening to you and you felt like they genuinely cared and were trying to do everything they could to, to be with you in that moment. When you walk away from those type of situations, you feel loved. Yeah. I did have an experience just recently, actually, at the Bloom Retreat. Dr. Skinner asks us, um, to have a, we have a partner and you spend, it must be 10 minutes looking into that person's eyes mm-hmm. and he kind of walks you through a few questions and things. And I was really stunned how I could see. Mm. It brings me emotion right now, how I could see that person's feelings, how mm. they felt, what they'd been through, what they struggled with. I mean, I could see it in their eyes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it's not often that we have that kind of eye contact with somebody. No, we didn't speak. It was so powerful. Well, that's the thing about listening is so much of listening is with our eyes. Mm. Like we, we listen so much of it is through that nonverbal communication channel of the face, the eyes communicate so much. Like we just when we take the time to look into somebody's eyes, really look, and we can, they'll tell us without saying anything. They'll tell us if we're in tune and we can listen that way. Uh, and that's the, that's the level of co-created empathy is where you can, 
be with somebody to the point where you just look at them and you just can say, hey, you know, what's going on? I love that. You know, I immediately came home and tried that with my kids. I was like, I am going to spend more time (laughs) giving them eye contact and not talking. Just, you know, maybe what you're saying, listening. Yeah. That's been cool. Yeah. I I did it with my kids too. And then my daughter was like, dad, you're creepy. You're freaking me out, man. (laughs) Right. You want to make eye contact, but you don't want to be creepy. There's a fine line. (laughs) There's a fine line. Yeah. Um, so this kind of brings me, I want to talk about co-creation of empathy still, but there's one more thing I want to talk about before we get there. And I know we're kind of running short. So um, I think when you're coming from a relationship that you've lost trust in, you know, whether it's betrayal or whether it's lying, whatever it may be, we look at empathy as a conflict hmm. in that if I give this person empathy, they're going to hurt me. If I don't give this person empathy, I'll never connect with them. Yeah. Speak to this. (laughs) That's a tough one. This is our our conflict. Yeah, it is. That is a tough dialectic to negotiate. Um, That one hit me between the eyes, actually. Honestly, when I first started doing this, I started collecting my empathy journals. I was teaching a class at the U uh, on empathy. It was focused largely on empathy. And after about four or five weeks, I was just, I felt like I was knocking it out of the park and everybody was, you know, carrying the empathy banner and, and that I'd really won them all over. And then after class, this, this sweet student came up and she's like, can I talk to you after class? Which happens a lot to me because of what I teach. And she said, she's like, I just want you to know that, I mean, I love everything, but um, empathy is my greatest weakness. And I was like, hmm, okay. And she's like, sometimes it destroys me. And it just kind of hit me like right between the eyes. And I was like, well, what do you mean to speak into that? And she talked about that. She talked about how she had a very high empathy set point. But she, because of that, it allowed her to stay in abusive situations. And it allowed her to um, be in what I would call self-worth decaying relationships. Mm -hmm. Um, And so... We have to be careful where where we are. And a, a lot of the listeners here I know are still in relationships where they feel like, no, they're with a partner who does love them, who is who is trying to work with them and is and uh, is trying to build that trust back up. But it's still hard because it's you've hard. been so hurt. And if you have too much empathy, then you can allow yourself to stay in these bad situations. But if you have not enough empathy like you're talking about, then it alienates and it makes it it makes the healing process the connecting process increasingly more difficult impossible i mean yeah yeah you have to and so it's just that's why you know Brene Brown and a lot of the other ones uh, Heather Lerner like they talk about the power of vulnerability because it takes courage it takes so much courage yeah incredible amount <laughs> yeah for somebody who's hurt us and to say you know what uh, i'm still going to give you empathy we're going to work through this. It's scary. So is there a safe way to give empathy to someone who has hurt you? Or someone who isn't in a relationship with you that's trusting? Uh, that's a good question. A safe way. Yeah. What I mean by that, you know, I mean, we generally are learning about boundaries, how to protect ourselves, but but be vulnerable and open at the same time. Mm-hmm. Is there a safe way to give empathy to someone who's, who's damaging. Yes, I, I guess, I mean, I, I, 
That's a great question. I really want to think into that question more, actually. We'll have to have you like, back. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> we'll have to have a round have, two. That's a million dollar question. I, I, <laughs> I don't know if I've thought into that question enough, um, but just in my initial reaction as I'm thinking about it now, um, I don't think you can expect one person to meet all of your relational needs. And in a healthy marriage, absolutely. You should be each other's confidant and 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 you should be able to meet almost all those relational needs at different times in the relationship. But we need more than one person. And I think when you're in a damaged relationship where you're trying to heal it, that is in particular where you need a tribe. And mm. you need a group of people who you can be completely or as completely as you need to, vulnerable with, and that can give you that that reciprocal empathy on that same level. And your partner not may not be that person for a while. They may be working at it. And so I think you can create some safety there by just recognizing that there's a continuum. And right now you're at this point in the continuum. You're not all the way over there. There are people in your tribe that you can go to and get that type of empathy and you want to work towards that with your partner you want to baby step them there and, and you need somebody who's willing to dance work with you because if that and if not mm -hmm. then you're in an unhealthy relationship but and so i just think i really believe in having a system of people and it doesn't need to be big it can be three mm -hmm. three people two people even outside of the marriage or the partnership that you can turn to and get the empathy that you need to soothe you to validate you and, and in those troubled sometimes where they're working through marriages, sometimes the partners are not quite there yet. Right. I think a lot of us experience that. I know I have. And my tribe, as you say, has been my life vest for a lot of things. So, right. so let me ask that question maybe in a different way. Is there a time to not give empathy? Um, yeah. There's a time to, I would say, pull back on your empathy. I don't know. What would that like look you, like? It looks like, I, I don't know if I talked about this, and I probably talked about it Bloom at some point in my lectures, but the concept of emotional contagion where uh, people with high empathic set points, it's Emotional contagion is like we can catch something, it's contagious, like a cold. Mm -hmm. And so people that have high empathy set points are in danger of emotional contagion, which is we catch other people's emotions and moods. And so when we're around somebody who is deeply uh, in these dark emotions, if we have high empathy for them, set point, we really care deeply, we feel deeply. And if we're not careful, we can really easily catch those dark moods and they can sink our ship. And so to say pull back from empathy or stop having empathy, I just think, I think we can have empathy from a distance. I think we can have like kind of a critical thinking empathy, which is, I'm not going to stop caring about you, but I am going to put some distance between you and me because I need to do that for my own self. So empathy for self almost. Yeah. Yeah. It really, mm -hmm. it's a form of self-compassion. Yep. I like that. Okay. Um, well, let's talk a little bit more about the co-creating empathy. Let's, um, let's talk about uh, scenarios where, uh, you know, a relationship is being healed. Both partners are invested in the healing of that. Tell me how co-creation of empathy is going to move that relationship forward. 
healthy. Okay. Um, um, well, and again, the back, the kind of the foundation of co-creating empathy is needs um, and emotions. And so one of the situations that I think uh, I was actually working with somebody recently and their, her husband was uh, addicted to pornography and they both wanted to work on the marriage. They were invested, but there was obviously, he was very embarrassed. So he was like, let's just do this. I don't want you to tell my family. I don't want you to tell your family. I don't want you to tell anybody. Let's just do this. We'll work on our marriage. You know, let's keep it in house. And, and you can see why he would think that. And, and for her, there was also this like, okay, well, I want to be true to him. So I don't want to go outside the marriage because I want him to think I'm betraying his confidence. And so, but what happens is, is that she started to be increasingly feel isolated, alone. Who could she talk to about the things that she was going through as they worked through these things? Um, and he wasn't really open to counseling marriage because he's like, we can just do this. And so co-created empathy would be where they would both be in tune to what the other person needs. And he would need to recognize that she has this deep emotional world that's going around her church. She's this whirlwind of dark emotions of, of her own grief and betrayal and, and sadness and, and those things that she needs to have healed that he can't necessarily heal at that point completely. And there's things that he needs that she can't quite be for him yet because she's got her own things going on. And so co-created empathy was where they would both be in tune to that. And they would say, okay, we need to have a meta-communication conversation. We need to talk about who we talk to and how we get our needs met. And then we then they can sit down and say, okay, um, who's in the tribe? Like, who are we okay with each of us talking to? We need to, and that way they can both be in tune to, these are your resources. These are my resources. We're going to support each other completely as we, and we're going to talk about it throughout the process. Um, it's that vulnerable communication and reciprocation, which is you talk to your person to get yours. I'll talk to mine and then we'll come back and then we'll talk together and we'll just mm. keep checking in with each other on a daily basis. So I really like that, but I, I know from experience, it is so hard to navigate those waters. I think, I think, um, you know, most women will fall into a couple of categories where you're going to say, you're going to do like this woman's experience where maybe the husband doesn't want her to talk to anybody. And so she doesn't, and she falls kind of into this dark place or she says, I don't care what you say. I'm going to talk to whoever I want. And then she falls into this dark place. So navigating those middle waters um, of respecting each other's needs. Yeah. And, you know, I can imagine maybe her husband saying he needs, you know, no one to know. I need no one to know. It's it's too hard for me to heal. If everybody knows, it's too embarrassing, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, the shame. The shame thing Mm -hmm. is huge. How would you navigate a need like that when you also have a need? So I guess it's like you're saying. He needs to also recognize her need to talk to somebody. And that's, yeah, and that's exactly what I mean. When I say metacommunication conversation, I, I, it's like, I don't know, another analogy would be like, who's at the round table? Okay. So a lot of times our family and our friends, um, mm. there are certain people sometimes that we can turn to for those type of support and they can keep things confidential and they can give us the kind of empathy and support that we need. Uh, 
And even though it might be embarrassing, those are the people we should turn to at, at those times. And then there are situations where those are not the best people for us, even though they're the most convenient people for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, because we, we paint other people's experiences with our own brush. And so when we listen, a lot of times, uh, it's hard to find perspective if we're close to the situation. And so, for example, I was talking to somebody else, and she's in a troubled marriage, and she says, I go to my best friend, and she gives me this empathy but she also hates on my husband a ton (laughs) yeah (laughs) because she's been hurt right and she's now divorced Mm -hmm. and so she sees she's interpreting everything in my marriage through her divorce and her pain Mm -hmm. and so she's kind of in a sense projecting even more so on which is not particularly helpful for Mm -mm. I mean it's sure you can feel like oh yeah they get it but I don't know if they're helping you see your husband or she's helping her see your husband in a more empathic way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there has to be who's at the round table. Who are the people that can actually bring wisdom and perspective into our lives? And so that meta communication conversation between the, that couple should be, who can you talk to? Who are you comfortable with me talking to? Because I need to talk to people. I need to talk to somebody. Who are you comfortable with? Who, who am I comfortable with? Let's get this, this understanding this, where we're not going to tell everybody and we're not going to tell nobody. We're going to tell these people, they get to be at the round table, and that and it stays there. And if we go outside of there, we talk about it. Mm. Who do we trust? Correct. Yeah, I love that. Okay, well, we're running out of time, so I'm going to ask you the last question. I have a bunch of last questions. That's okay. But <laughs> Shotgun. Um, let's see. I, I, I think I want to know um, if the old you could see the new you. <laughs> Uh, what would the talk. new you say to the old you oh man the new me would just want to take him in the back alley and just <laughs> smack some sense into him uh, uh, what, uh, does, what does that mean <laughs> i uh i've had to learn a lot of lessons the hard way <laughs> um and so what do they say? A wise person learns from their experiences. A really wise person learns from other people's experiences. Mm-hmm. I think I should have been more observant and more humble and more open, um, less proudful about trying to impress and maybe, uh, yeah, I think I just should have, I wish I would have seen people much earlier. And I always, I, I make myself out to sound probably worse than it really was in some ways. I, I actually did have a high empathy empathic set point i was born into the world with that um but through experiences and through time i kind of deadened that with my own poor choices and selfishness and just getting lost on things that didn't matter and so if i could go back i would just want to wake him up and say just look around and see see the people that really matter and focus on those and everything else just can fade away i really love what you've said you said this a couple times during our interview is missing people you just miss people and i imagine people just kind of going right past me. And I, yeah. I know that feeling. And it's, it happens without even, uh-huh. I, I always say on a daily basis, it, it, uh-huh. next you know, weeks have gone by, you know, months have gone by and you haven't really seen them or experienced them in a way that is really meaningful and connective because you just, it's life, you know, you just catch breakfast and you got to go dinner and you got to go to this and you got to go to that. And, you know, it's just, we miss people. Here's one more question. So what does Paul Parkin do to slow down? <laughs> um, man, I feel like I'm like on Oprah right now. These are like good questions. <laughs> <laughs> Move over, um, Oprah. <laughs> yeah, you're, like, you're asking me all the good questions. 
Uh, for me, I'm an introvert, which is kind of ironic because I think everybody thinks I'm an extrovert because I'm very kind of gregarious and I teach and I go speak and I do all these things. I draw my energy from solitary, from reading, from journaling, from writing. And then I take that energy and I take it into the world and into my teaching, into my relationships. And so for me to slow down, I have to build in time for me mm. to have that solitude, that journal, that reading, that meditation, that, that, that prayer. Because if I do that, then all my other relationships benefit. And when I start denying myself those things, everything else suffers. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. This was fun. I think what I love most about Paul's interview is the part where he talks about missing people. I mean, that's something that he mentioned a number of times. And since his since our conversation, I've really been thinking about the people in my life that maybe I'm not quite connecting with as much as I'd like to, and I, I don't want to miss people. So I just also want to let you all know that Paul has a great TED Talk. Um, he's also spoken at the Togetherness Project and taught a relationship class for Bloom, which you can actually listen to online. Uh, if you don't have a Bloom subscription, though, you can check it out at bloomforwomen.com and sign up for a 30 days free um, with the promo code of SCABS. That's S-C-A-B-S. Also, if there's anything that you are interested in hearing about on our podcast or something that you'd like us to explore or a topic or someone you'd like us to interview, please shoot me a note with your ideas at my email, which is scabs at bloomforwomen.com. I'd love to hear from you. Comments, questions, thoughts. Thank you. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Let me do that again. Should I say something like, thank you and thank you for listening? Don't put that in there. Now go live your life. The end.